Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been speaking to us by your Spirit through your Word as it's been read and sung tonight. And we pray that you continue to do that now as we consider this passage together. We pray that your Holy Spirit, who gave us this Word, would open our eyes to see Jesus more clearly. Uh, we pray that he will enable me to, to preach your word rightly uh, in his power. Uh, and we pray that uh, he will work in each one of our hearts and that we would respond uh, to Jesus in faith um, and in obedience, and that we might live uh, to serve and please him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you believe? Do you really believe? I was blessed with Christian parents. Uh, they're, they're here tonight, and I'm so thankful to God for them. Uh, when I was young, my parents taught me all about Jesus. They, they read the Bible. They prayed with me every night. Uh, they told me that Jesus died for our sins so that we can be forgiven. And I believe because that is what my parents told me. But as I grew up, I needed to believe for myself. I needed to meet Jesus in his word for myself. I needed the spirit to work in my heart so that I could discover for myself that Jesus died for me. I believed, but I needed to really believe. And that's not just true of people who grow up in the church. It's, it's for all of us, isn't it? There are times when we believe because people tell us about Jesus, but we need to move from a second-hand faith to, faith to a first-hand one. From believing because someone we know believes to, to believing for ourselves. And we will see an example of that in our passage today. There are also many people who kind of believe Jesus when they hear about him, but they're not, they're not believing him as their Lord and Savior. Uh, they don't know him as the King, the Son of God who gives them eternal life. They believe that he can help them in some other way. Maybe they come to him for healing or protection. Maybe they come to him for meaning and purpose in life. Maybe they come to him for moral guidance. And all these are good things. But they need to move from a faith in Jesus in one area to a faith in Jesus as their King and Lord who saves them from sin and death. That is saving faith. The kind of faith we need to be saved. And we'll see another example of that in our passage today. Last week, you remember at the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus leaves Judea and he's heading up to Galilee. And on the way, he passes through this area called Samaria. And his disciples go into the village to buy food and they leave him waiting at the well. He's tired, he's thirsty, he doesn't have anything to draw water with. And then you remember there's a woman who comes to draw water and Jesus asks her for a drink. And she's surprised because the, the Jews despise Samaritans. And here is Jesus, a Jewish man, talking to a Samaritan woman. And yet in the conversation we saw Jesus offering her living water, showing her that he understood her background and her sin, talking to her about true worship, and disclosing that he is indeed the Messiah that was being waited for. Now we pick up the story in verse 27 when the disciples get back uh, from buying the food. It says that they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but they don't dare to ask him questions. They don't dare to, to, to question him about it. And when they come back, the woman in verse 28 leaves. Uh, she leaves the water jar and she goes back to the town. But notice what she does when she goes back. She goes around to all the people. And what does she say? Verse 29. Come, 
come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Isn't that a great thing to do? She's met Jesus. She goes back to the people that she knows. and says, come, come and meet him. Could this be? She raises the question of his identity. Could this be the Christ? You come and, you come and meet him and decide. Work it out. And so persuasive is she that she manages to convince many villagers to come and meet Jesus for themselves. And so in verse 30, we read, they were coming out from the town and they were coming to him. So here's a picture of people coming out from the village, out to this well, to meet Jesus. And then the camera kind of like goes back and catches up on what's been happening in the meantime because we follow the woman into the, into the town and she's talking to people and bringing people out and, but it goes backwards to when Jesus and his disciples are first talking when the woman's left and what are they saying? well they're urging him to eat they say eat la rabbi in verse 31 but he says to them in verse 32 I have food to eat that you do not know about and so they wonder has someone brought him food? but that's not what Jesus is saying he's wanting them to know in verse 34 my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what Jesus is on about. What motivates Jesus, what he longs for, what he hungers for, what he desires is to do his father's will. That's why he was talking to this woman. That's why he offered her living water. That's why he would ultimately go to the cross. His food, his passion, his desire is to do God's will. And friends, if we follow Jesus, then to do God's will, will that'll be our passion as well. Uh, for Jesus, God's will was that he, would, that he would reveal the Father to the world and then die on the cross for our sins and then rise again. For us, God's will is that we should grow in Christ and be changed into the likeness of Christ, persevere in loving and obeying him until the very end. And for the world, God's will is that the gospel goes out into all the world. That people might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and have life in his name. That is God's will. And is that what motivates you and me? Is that what drives us, what, what gets us out of bed in the morning, that, that we're really passionate about? I like my food, but I wonder. Jesus says, his food is to do the will of him who sent him. Let's pray that it'll be ours as well. And so Jesus talks to his disciples about the harvest that he's been sent to reap. And he says in verse 35, don't you say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Now, that might have been an agricultural saying or it might be where they're up to agriculturally, we don't know. But you know what? In salvation history, that's exactly what was happening. See, this is early on in Jesus' ministry. The harvest would actually start when? It's when Jesus would be glorified, when he dies, when he rises again, when the Spirit comes. Ah, then it's the time for the harvest, isn't it? There's still, still not yet yet. But I wait. Verse 35, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See, the fields are white for harvest. Already, even though the, the official time for harvest is yet to come, it's still some time away. So many, the fields are ready there. People are already telling others about Jesus. Already, verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. 
It's already people coming to believe in Jesus. And he said, look, the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. There are some people who are telling others about Jesus. There are others who are reaping and pointing. People playing different roles in this whole process. Verse 37, the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. Someone else has done the groundwork and now these disciples and Jesus, they're going to get this harvest. They're the reapers. But who's been doing the groundwork? Well, look at the very next verse. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. You see what's happened? The Samaritan woman sowed, didn't she? She went back into the town. She told people about Jesus. And now, in verse 40, what's happening? The Samaritans are coming out to him. Ah, we've caught up already to that change in scene just now. We've caught up already. Here they are. They're coming out. And they're coming out to Jesus and they want to hear more. They, they want to meet him properly. They want to get to know him. And so they ask him to stay with them. And he says, he does, he stays with, there and ver- stays with them, verse 40, for two days. And, and for two days he is with them, he speaks the word to them, and it says, many more believe because of his word. And in verse 42, look what they say to the woman. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. Isn't that wonderful? Not just because of her anymore. They've believed. He's the savior of the world. Not just for the Jews, but for the world. That, that includes them, the Samaritans. And because of Jesus' word, they trusted him as their savior. They received the gift of eternal life. The Samaritan woman sowed. Jesus and his team reaped the harvest. Friends, Never underestimate the power of your personal testimony in sowing the seeds of the gospel. Never underestimate how God can use your enthusiasm. Be excited about Jesus. Be so excited that you talk about him to your friends and acquaintances and and, and tell people about Jesus. All of us can do that. Now, many of us can't give a theological treatise about things, but how much do you think the Samaritan woman knew? after one conversation with Jesus. And yet she was the one who sold the seeds among the Samaritans by just telling them about Jesus, calling on to come and meet him. We can can all do that, can't we? Come and meet him. We can tell people that he's a wonderful savior. They can encounter him, they can meet him for themselves. Now how can they meet him for themselves? Well, they can start by reading one of the four gospels. We've got at the entrance there, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just pick it up. So, hey, meet Jesus. You can meet him by reading this. Right? You can't find it there? Jessica's got it in the book corner. 30 cents, right, Jessica? 30 cents, right? Go and get some copies and say, look, meet Jesus. See if you can share enthusiastically about your Savior. Or here's another thing you can do. You can invite them to Christianity Explored. Right? It's a seven-week course starts not this coming Tuesday, Tuesday week. And what we'll do is we will read Mark's gospel together. We will read Mark's gospel with with people who haven't yet known Jesus, and they can meet Jesus as we read that gospel, as we talk, think about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. 
So you may or may not be a theologian, but each one of us can invite people, come and meet Jesus. Some of us will sow, some of us will reap, but we'll rejoice together when people are saved and receive eternal life. Wouldn't it be great to have one of your friends or family members come back and say, thank you for introducing me to Jesus. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You're the one who invited me to come and meet him in the early stages. And, but now, it's not because of what you said that I believe, for I've heard for myself, and I know that he is the savior of the world. Well, after those two days in Samaria, Jesus continues his trip up north to, to Galilee. Uh, he goes back to his hometown because in verse 44, a, a prophet is without honor and is there in his own hometown and he's trying to avoid publicity, so that suits him just fine. Uh, but in verse 45, the Galileans welcome him because they've seen what he's done down in Jerusalem at the feast. And you see, he had done all these signs down there. Uh, we see that back in chapter 2, verse 23. He's, he was doing signs in Jerusalem, and, and many people believed in him there because of the signs. But it says that, that Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. He knew what people were like. They didn't trust him as their Lord and Savior. They just believed he could do miracles, and they wanted to treat him as a celebrity miracle worker. So, so Jesus was welcomed back at Galilee, but you see the problem? The people of Galilee had been, many of them had been there in Jerusalem. And they, same thing's happening up there now. Jesus has come to reveal the Father, and what the people want is signs. Jesus is the Son of God who can give eternal life, but people are more interested in miracles. And especially when he goes back to Cana, where in verse 46 he had made the water into wine. But while he's there, he, he actually does perform a miracle. But it wasn't for someone from Cana. It was for someone for Capernaum, which was also in Galilee, beside the Sea of Galilee, but it was about 27 kilometers east of Cana. And there in Capernaum, in verse, 20, in verse 46, there was an official whose son was ill. And the word official there is royal official, so he probably works for King Herod. Uh, and uh, when he hears that Jesus is in Galilee, in that region, in verse 47, he travels to Cana to ask Jesus to come and please heal his son, who is at the point of death. And how does Jesus respond? Well, he starts off with a bit of a lament. He says in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, he's not just talking about the man. The, the word you there is plural. He's talking about Galileans as a whole. You remember in verse 41, the Samaritans, they believed because of his word. But unlike the Samaritans, these Galileans, they won't believe unless they see signs and wonders. But this official is not there to try and test Jesus. He's not actually there to try and make him prove himself by doing tricks. He's, he's actually just desperate for his son. And so he says to Jesus in verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus is compassionate. He cares. And so Jesus says to him in verse 50, Go, your son will live. And verse 50 continues, The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He hadn't yet seen the sign, 
But he believed the word of Jesus for the sign. He believed the promise of Jesus. He went on his way. He had faith in Jesus. And as he's on his way home, he, he finds servants coming out to meet him with, with news. And it's good news. His son is recovering. And so he asks, when did this start happening? And they say, this verse 52, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And he knew that that was the hour, verse 53, when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Isn't that amazing? Jesus' word is so powerful, he doesn't even have to be there. He just says, your son will live. And he does. He speaks and it happens. Who does that remind you of? Jesus is acting just like his heavenly father, isn't it? Who spoke and the whole world was made. And notice what it says next about the royal official. And he himself believed and all his household. When he saw the sign, he could see who Jesus is. And he and his family actually believed in Jesus. And you think, hang on, didn't he believe before? Oh, yes, he did. He, he, he believed that Jesus could heal his son. And he believed, he believed the promise of Jesus that he would heal his son. But that's it. That's faith. It's not yet saving faith. It's only faith in Jesus as a healer. It's not yet the kind of faith that in Jesus that gives him eternal life. And now it says he himself believed and his whole household. He saw this sign resulted in real faith. He saw the way Jesus simply spoke and it was done. And he believed in Jesus as the Son of God, the Christ. And he who believes in the Son has eternal life. And then John ends the passage with the words of verse 54. And this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. He did many signs down in Jerusalem that are not recorded, but twice he makes a trip from Judea to Galilee, and each time he does a sign. First one was water into wine, second one was this one. And what are these signs for? Well, if you go to the end of John's Gospel, uh, you see the answer in chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. If you, if you look at it in the handout, you see, look, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, these signs, each of these signs show us something about Jesus, about who he is. And we see that he is the Son of God. And when this man from Capernaum saw the sign, he could see that Jesus is the Son of God. And he really believed. Now, in the past few weeks, we've seen various things about Jesus, the Son of God. We've seen him as the temple. We've seen him as the prophet. We've seen him as the Messiah. We've seen he's the fountain of living water. We've seen he's the word made flesh. We've seen he's Yahweh, God himself. And today we've seen he's the savior of the world. But we've also seen something else today, haven't we? We've seen what it means to believe. We've seen it in two ways. Think about the Samaritans again. There were two steps in their coming to faith. First of all, they heard about him from the woman. 
They believed enough to, to come to Jesus and find out more. But then they heard from Jesus himself. They really believed because of his word. No miracles, no sign. They didn't need it. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves. And we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. And for many of us, that's a two-step process as well, isn't it? We believe because of what our friends say, what our parents teach us, what we hear from other people. It's not wrong. It's a good first step. But we need to meet Jesus for ourselves. And how do we meet Jesus? Well, we meet him in his word, the Bible. And we come to know him as the one who saves us, not just because of what our friend or mother or relative or son or whatever says, but because we have met him. We have heard his voice. And when we meet Jesus and we hear for ourselves what he has to say, then we know for ourselves that he is the savior of the world. We really believe. And then think about the royal official who believed Jesus when he promised him the son would be healed. And when, but when he saw the sign, he truly believed with all his household. And sometimes it's a bit like that, isn't it? We believe all kinds of true things about Jesus. We can even trust him for some things in our life, but we don't yet have saving faith. We're not believing in him as the son of God. We're not trusting in his death in our place. Something's got to happen before we have the saving faith. Uh, for the Samaritans who was hearing Jesus, for the official who was seeing the signs. What do you need before you really believe? Do you need to meet Jesus and listen to him like the Samaritans? We've seen already that we do so in the Bible. So go and read John or one of the other four Gospels. There we meet Jesus and hear his word. Or to really believe, do you need a sign? Like the official from, from Galilee. Well, if you need a sign, remember why the Holy Spirit gave us the signs in John's gospel. Come back to that handout again. John 20. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe, you, the reader, you, the one who, accept, who, who receives this gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus, John records all the signs that we need to see in order to really believe, and we've got it here in this gospel. Meet Jesus in his word, See the signs, believe, and have eternal life. You see, either way, we're not going to see Jesus face to face right now. We're about 2,000 years too late for that. But we can truly meet him in the scriptures. We can hear his voice. We can see his signs. And the spirit who gave us these scriptures makes them come alive for us. So that we can really believe for ourselves. Hear the voice of Jesus. See the signs of Jesus. Believe. Really believe. For yourself. 
And just before we close, let me go back to talking about the harvest. Remember how the official harvest time would come after the death and resurrection of Jesus and the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost? But even already here, there was already a harvest even before the official one starts. Well, brothers and sisters, if Jesus and his disciples were compelled to, to even harvest prematurely, we now have got no excuse to be not harvesting. The fields are even ripe, but this is the official harvest time. This is the time for the gospel to be going out into all the nations. This is the time where we're meant to be bringing people to meet Jesus. Come and meet him. Meet him in his word so they can truly believe. That is the will of our Heavenly Father. So let's make that our priority, our food, our passion, our delight. That people might see Jesus for themselves, believe in him, and have eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given your Son to reveal yourself truly so that we know who you are and what you're like. We thank you that you gave him to die on the cross for our sins in our place. We thank you that you have raised him from the dead and made him the king of all. And we thank you that your spirit has shown him to us that we know that he is the Christ, the Son of God. We believe and believing we have life in his name. We thank you so much. Father, we pray that each one of us here would truly know that. That for each one of us here, this faith would not just be a second-hand one, but that we would really know for ourselves that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And we pray that for each one of us here, we will be trusting Jesus truly as the Lord, as the King, as the Son of God, as the Savior of our lives, who died for us and rose again. And may we, in response, have that same kind of, of passion for the harvest. May our food be to do your will, to see your will done in, in our lives and in this world. Give us that hunger, we pray. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.